Thank you for joining us today. We'll begin our study of the second letter of Paul to Timothy. We'll be discussing trials and persecution of Christians and how we can be an encouragement to others in the face of difficulties. So if you'll open your Bibles up to 2 Timothy chapter 1, we'll begin our lesson. Let me open this up in prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you again for this group and the opportunity to gather together and study your word. And as we begin a new book today in 2 Timothy, I just ask you to guide our discussion. Let it be your words, not my words, and open our hearts to hear what we need to hear. Continue to change us and transform us into the people that you want us to be. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we finished 1 Timothy last time. This is Paul's last letter little bit of background for those of you who may not recall. I went over some of this when we started 1 Timothy. 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus are sometimes called the pastoral epistles. They're written to two of Paul's protégés who then had pastoral duties. These were the last of Paul's letters that he wrote after his first release from prison in Rome. The second letter here that we're going to begin studying Paul is in prison in Rome. He knows he's about to be killed. I'll give you a little bit of background on that in a minute. A little bit on Paul. He was a Jew raised as a traditional family, would raise him, very orthodox. He was a very proud and devoted Jew. He persecuted Christians until Jesus appeared to him and called him to be the apostle for the Gentiles. We read about that in Acts 9. And Timothy became a Christian probably as a result of Paul's missionary work in Lystra. We read about that when we were in Acts 14, 6 through 23. And then Timothy began to accompany Paul on his second missionary journey and eventually became the lead pastor in Ephesus. And that's where he is during this writing of Paul's second letter. Now, this second letter was written probably around A.D. 66 to 67 time frame. About two years earlier, Nero had ordered Rome to be burned, and then it was set ablaze for about six days. Nero then blamed the Christians for doing that, and things got really rough. He began torturing Christians. And unlike Paul's first imprisonment in Rome, where he was really just under house arrest and he could have visitors visit him anytime. This second imprisonment, he was in chains and it was pretty bad. It appears that most of Paul's friends had left him, except who we'll read about today, Onesiphorus, we'll read about him, as well as Luke. We'll see Luke is with him in chapter 4. But Paul forgave his defectors Things were really getting rough, and so some of these people, they just left really to protect themselves. Timothy was being persecuted. There were lots of false teaching in the churches, and we'll see several times throughout this letter how much Paul longed to see Timothy one additional time because he knew he was about to be killed, his life taken from him. In this letter, what we really see is Paul is passing the mantle on to Timothy, his protege, to continue the ministry and really to encourage him, even though he's going through tremendous trials. And we'll see a lot of that today as we read. While it's written to Timothy, this letter is also called to all of us as believers to grow in our faith, serve the Lord, get the message of the gospel out, 
and expect that we'll be persecuted in the process. So why don't we begin? I'll start in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Let me stop there. Paul here, he's saying, look, Timothy, I am an apostle. And because of that, what I'm writing, what I'm saying to you right here is actually from God. It's not just friendly advice. So pay attention to it. And he's saying it's by the will of God that he became an apostle. And it was according to the promise, meaning you could refer to John 3.16. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. So he, Paul, believes in the gospel. He knew that he was sent out by Jesus. He has authority from Jesus, who he represents. And so he's telling Timothy that he is speaking the word of God here. Verse 2, he's writing it to Timothy, my beloved son, So Timothy was like a son to Paul. As I said, Paul had probably converted him or been involved in that. And the way he's talking about Timothy here, this is how we should each feel towards other people that we have poured ourselves into. And if we're not pouring ourselves into people, we should be, just like Paul here is showing us as an example. He says, Grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. So, This is typically how Paul begins his letters because grace and mercy is so important to understand. It's unmerited favor from God to forgive us our sins and promise us eternal life because we've placed our faith in his son, Jesus Christ, which then restores our relationship with God. And that should give us tremendous peace because we know where we're going when we die. There are a lot of denominations that they're still trying to earn their way, and they don't have that peace. We, as true Christians with true saving faith, we should have tremendous peace. And he's setting this up because, remember, there's lots of persecution going on that Timothy is facing. So he's telling him he should be at peace because he knows where he's going. He says in verse 3, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did. And I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Even though Paul is in prison and unjustly, he hadn't done anything other than he believed in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. That's what he's being put in prison about. We never see Paul complaining about anything. I'll show you when we get further into our lesson today all that Paul went through. But we always see Paul being grateful for what God did for him. Here he's trying to encourage Timothy that even though Timothy may be being persecuted, that he should be encouraged. Here, Paul is facing death, and yet he's saying, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Paul is about to die, and yet he has Timothy at the forefront. What loyalty and service that Paul is displaying to Timothy. And we should all do that for others. Verse 4, he says, He's longing to see you. He longs to see Timothy, even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. Paul probably realizes he's not going to see Timothy again. He talks about it several times in this book. But just the thought of the time that he got to spend with Timothy brings him tremendous joy. These tears, they may refer to when they last departed one another just before Paul went to prison, much like the elders in Ephesus that we read about in Acts 20, verses 36 through 38. They were crying when Paul left at that time as well. Just his thoughts of Timothy bring great joy to him, even while he's in prison. He says in verse 5, For I am mindful 
of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. Paul probably realizes here again that he's not going to see Timothy, but he's affirming the faith that he has seen in Timothy. As I said, Barnabas was with him at the time, but Paul was probably instrumental in helping bring Timothy to faith on his first missionary journey. But at the same time, Timothy's mother, that's who he's referring to here, Eunice, as well as his grandmother, Lois, they taught Timothy a lot. They're great examples of how parents and grandparents should be to help their children become believers at a very young age. We don't know about Timothy's father He was Greek, we do know that, but we don't know if he was a believer or not. Many commentators say probably not because there's not much written about him, but the scripture's not clear on that. We do know he was Greek. Now, beginning in verse 6, Paul is going to tell Timothy that he should never be ashamed to tell others about the gospel and about Jesus Christ. Even though you may be persecuted over it, you should never be ashamed of the gospel. I read this story, and it really touched my heart. I'll share it with you. There was a story during the Boxer Rebellion in 1899 to 1900, and the Chinese government was killing Christians, just trying to massacre Christians. And they surrounded this church mission that had about 100 Christians in there, and what they did is they sealed up all the exits of this church except for one exit, and they laid a cross down in front of that one exit. And they said, anybody that wants to be set free will let you go if you come out and basically stop and walk all over the cross and desecrate it. If you'll do that, we'll let you come free. And so the first eight people, that's what they did. They walked out and walked all over the cross, and they weren't shot. They were allowed to go. The eighth person came out, and it was a young girl. And she walked out of the door, and she kneeled down in front of the cross and prayed for strength, prayed to Jesus, thanked God for all that he had done for her, and then got up and walked around the cross, and she was shot. But that encouraged the remaining, like, 92 people that were in there, and they each followed and did exactly what she did, and they were each shot. But just tremendous faith, tremendous faith. They all died that way. I think it's interesting that we read that every one of the apostles died a martyr's death other than John, but he was exiled to Patmos and persecuted. Their lives were not easy. They were persecuted. They went through a lot of difficulty. I think that's something that we ought to think about. Let me just show you some verses because the Bible's clear. As Christians, we should expect to have persecution. And I'm going to just quickly show you, I'll read it to you. I'm going over to Mark chapter 8, verse 38. It says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, this is Jesus talking, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We should expect that we're going to be persecuted. And when we can go through persecution and trials, just like every one of the apostles did. I mean, I think it shows that they truly did believe in Jesus Christ. They were not going to renounce their faith, even if it meant terrible death that they would suffer. And I want to show you one other verse over here. I'll just go over there and show you this real quick because I think it supports what we're reading here. It's 1 Peter 1, verses 6 through 7. 
it says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith. So these trials prove that we have faith. We couldn't get through them and continue to have our faith if we didn't have saving faith. It says, For a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So it's not obtaining as the outcome of your works. It's because of your faith. And I'm going to show you more of Paul's suffering here shortly. But let's go back to the text in 2 Timothy. That's what we're going to start reading in verse 6. It says, And for this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul's saying, Look, since you have saving faith, serve Jesus. Be his instrument. A fire has to be rekindled to keep it from going out. So keep your faith in the gifts that God has given you. Keep them kindled. They've been given to you by grace. And our faith in our salvation is a gift by God's grace. We each have been given spiritual gifts immediately once we become a Christian. We're to use those to help build up the body of Christ. And so rekindle those. Use them. In verse 7, he says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but one of power and love and discipline. God's given us the resources to use our spiritual gifts to build up his kingdom. He gives us the words to speak to others and to share the gospel with others. And so he's saying here in verse 8, he says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. He's saying, don't be apprehensive. Don't be scared. Expect to be rejected. Just accept the consequences of being faithful and do what God asks us to do. Don't be intimidated. I'll show you some additional verses on that. Let me begin in Acts 5.41. I think this is a great example of what Paul is talking about. In fact, you might even want to go over there if you can get to Acts easy. There's several verses I'm going to show you. Acts is right after the four Gospels. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 40 of Acts 5, just to set the context. These are some of the disciples, and they've just been persecuted by the religious leaders. And you'll see what they do. They say, after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them to speak no more in the name of Jesus and then release them. So they flog them, and then they release them. And look at what they do. So they went out on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And remember, they said, don't speak in Jesus' name anymore. Look what they do in verse 42. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. That's what we're called to do. That's a perfect example I'll just show you a couple others just real quick. Let me first show you. We'll get to it in a couple of weeks. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, And indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So we're going to be persecuted. 
if you never have any opposition to what you're saying when you're talking about Jesus Christ, maybe you're not following Jesus close enough. You ought to be persecuted. And then one more to show you. I'm going back over to 1 Peter 4. And I'm going to show you several things in 1 Peter today. So if you want to put your finger there, 1 Peter 4 is the second time I'm coming over there. And I'm going to begin in verse 14. It says, If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. So we've got the Holy Spirit indwelling us as Christians, and that should give us peace and strength to endure whatever persecution we have. It's supernatural relief. And I think that's how when we see martyrs die for their faith, when we saw the ISIS crazy people killing Christians, and you just wondered, how in the world can they do that? It's because they have faith and peace. And the Holy Spirit has given them strength, and it proves that they had saving faith. We probably won't face anything like that, but we will be persecuted. I mean, I get it all the time, even from some members of my family, like, you've lost your mind. How do you believe all that stuff? You've gone overboard. Going back to the text, where did I leave off? Verse 9, well, the lead-in is in verse 8. It says, But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. So it's by grace that we've been saved. It's a gift. We contribute nothing. We've looked at this several times, but I'll read it to you one more time. It ought to be almost memorized by now. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So it's a gift. There's nothing we have to contribute except we've got to receive the gift. And just to make it clear, it's not a result of works that no one should boast. So we have nothing to boast about. It's a gift, but we do have to receive it, just like this watch on my arm. If I give it to you, if you don't receive it, it's not yours. He says that we can be assured of our salvation, and that is what should give us tremendous peace. I've got all kinds of verses here on assurance of our salvation, but one really good one, let's just go over to the Gospel of John real quick. Let me show you that. The fourth Gospel, I'll be in John 6. And I'm going to begin in verse 37, and this is Jesus talking. He says, All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, being the Father. And this is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. You notice verse 40? It doesn't say if you believe and you go do this and get these sacraments and do X, Y, Z and earn your way and you end up being better than the bottom half of the class <laughs> you get in. No, it's belief. It's whoever believes in him will have eternal life, and we're promised that. And then another one that I've showed you so many times, but I love this verse as well. It's in Philippians 1, verse 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. 
Once you become a Christian, your salvation is secure. You know you're going to heaven. We're not perfect yet, but the Holy Spirit comes and indwells in us immediately. It's not something that happens later. It happens immediately upon our placing our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And then we begin to be transformed. You ought to be able to look back over your life and say, yeah, there were things that I used to struggle with. I don't struggle with I have other things I'm struggling with. We're not perfect, but we ought to be in an upward trajectory, becoming more Christ-like, and it will be perfected once either Jesus returns or we die to go be with him. That should give us tremendous peace. I'm going back to the text, verse 10. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So we don't even have to worry about death. I mean, death is just the entry door for us to go to heaven. That's what death is. That's the door we go through to get to eternal life. Jesus has abolished death. Death here is really talking about eternal separation from God. So that's no longer a threat to us. We don't have to worry about that at all because we have faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We've been promised eternal life. And if you're telling people, yeah, I know I'm going to heaven, they'll say, well, gosh, that kind of sounds cocky. You think you're something. No, no, no. Don't get me wrong. It isn't anything I did. It's what Jesus did for me. That's how you answer that question. I know where I'm going, but I had nothing to do with it. It was a gift that I received. It's what Jesus did for me. I don't deserve it. Paul's saying how he was brought life and immortality to the light through the gospel, verse 11, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. So Jesus appointed Paul. He used to be a terrorist of Christians, but on the road to Damascus, we read about that in Acts chapters 8 and 9, That's where he had a total rebirth and became the apostle for the Gentiles. Verse 12, for this reason, I also suffer these things. In other words, he has gone through a lot of difficult trials, and I'll show you some of those in a minute. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Let's just take a look real quick at just some of what Paul endured. Go over to 2 Corinthians 11 with me. Corinthians is after Acts and after Romans. So we were just over there. So just go back over to the left, 2 Corinthians 11. And let's just look at some of what Paul endured. And remember, he's now sitting in prison, and he's pretty sure this is the end. Let's start in verse 23. He's talking about his troubles. He says, In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep, probably in the sea. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers Dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. That's just some of what he went through. And here is the guy that Jesus came and said, hey, I'm picking you. You're going to be the guy. You're going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. 
And look what he had to endure. And yet through all of his letters in the entire Bible account, you never hear Paul ever complain, ever. What a model. What a model for us. He never complains. And here he's trying to encourage Timothy. He's sitting in prison, about to be killed unfairly, only being killed for his faith in Jesus Christ. And here he's more concerned about encouraging Timothy to pick up the mantle and keep moving. Here's why Paul could continue to have such a positive attitude through all that persecution. We'll get to it. Just flip a couple of pages over to the fourth chapter of 2 Timothy and look at verse 8. This is what Paul says. He says, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He's trying to encourage all of us. That's what Jesus promises all of us. And that's what got Paul through all his persecution. So this should be an encouragement to us as well. Verse 13, go back over to chapter 1. We'll finish out. He says, Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, Hold and protect the sound doctrine that he's been taught. Over in 2 Timothy In chapter 4, we'll get over there soon, but I'll just read this to you. Paul says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, meaning the congregation, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. And that's exactly what we're seeing in many of our churches today. You know, as long as they can go find a pastor to tell them what they want to hear, that the sins that they're involved with are no longer deemed to be sins. You can use a black highlighter on that part of the Bible. It's like, oh, I like this church. I like this pastor. Keep preaching, pastor. Tickle my ears. That's what's going on. That's why you're seeing many of these churches split. And that's what Paul is warning Timothy about right here. Verse 14, he says, Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. So we've got the Holy Spirit indwelling each of us as Christians. Romans 8, 9 tells us if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. So every single one of us, we have the Holy Spirit as Christians. And the Holy Spirit will help us guard what is the truth. It's the inspired word of God. He says over in chapter 3, and we'll get to that in a couple of weeks that all Scripture is inspired by God. That's in verse 16. So he's saying, guard it, hold on to it, speak the truth in love to others, but cherish the word that God has given. Don't be one who distorts God's word like we see happening all around us in our culture today. Verse 15, you are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes, We don't know really anything about these two people. They're not mentioned elsewhere in Scripture. When Paul was imprisoned, as I mentioned, there's many who knew him who fled out of self-preservation. Christians were being persecuted, set on fire. Nero was even gathering up Christians and hanging them on poles and lighting them on fire as lanterns at night. That's how bad it was. And so Paul was deserted by many people who he had been ministering to. We don't know much about these people, but Timothy and others in Asia certainly knew who these two people were. 
verse 16, Paul says, The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, meaning the day of our judgment for rewards. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. This is probably someone who lived in Ephesus, since that's where Timothy is. Paul is writing to Timothy while he was in Ephesus. But this person must have visited Paul often while he was in prison. He trusted God, even though there was tremendous persecution. This guy trusted God, and he was not afraid to be associated with Paul or Jesus Christ. And he spent some efforts, it looks like, even trying to find Paul. But he came to Paul, ministered to him while he was in prison. And Paul is saying, when we all stand before the, as Christians, stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not for our salvation, because we're, as Christians, assured of our salvation. That's where we get our rewards and responsibilities in the kingdom. He's saying, Lord, grant to him mercy and many rewards because he rendered lots of good services at Ephesus. So how do we apply this text today? Just to summarize, we have a responsibility to help our family members learn the gospel and understand the gospel and hopefully become believers. They have to have their own faith to be saved. They can't inherit that from us. It's not something because their parents believe that they get saved. It doesn't work that way. They have to have their own faith. But we have a responsibility to do that. And as I mentioned, when we become Christians, the Holy Spirit immediately indwells us. And that gives us so much power if we just let the Holy Spirit work and utilize the spiritual gifts that we're given immediately upon becoming a Christian. We should be bold and exercise those spiritual gifts that we're given and help build the kingdom. That's why we've been left here. When Jesus was here in person, in bodily form, he was here in bodily form as God. When he ascended to heaven, he then sends the Holy Spirit to indwell in us to then show Christ to others. That's our responsibility. And that's what we'll be judged for when we get to the judgment seat of Christ. So how are we exercising our spiritual gifts that we've been given? We should have tremendous peace even when we have trials, just like Paul. He never complained about anything. He knew God was in control of the situation, and he trusted God. We're all, as Christians, going to heaven, but God wants to use our trials now to teach us or maybe teach others something. We should guard and protect and defend God's word. Our culture and many churches are straying greatly as they use black highlighters or tear out pages that they say don't apply anymore. That's crazy. The Bible's clear that you're not to add to or take away from Scripture. Learn the Bible, and I know that's why you all come here. Learn the Bible so when you do hear false teaching, wherever it might be, and call me out on it. I've said this before. If I say something and you go, hold on a minute, Larry, that's not how I read the Bible. Call me out on it because I may be misspeaking. I may even be saying something that I didn't even intend to say. Or I may be just flat wrong. I'm not perfect. So understand Scripture so you can call out people and discern truth from error. Be a student of Scripture so you can recognize the false teaching. Examine yourself to see if your life and the way you're living your life is in harmony with the Scriptures. And if it's not, ask the Holy Spirit to help you. And if you think that you are, ask the Holy Spirit. You're not. 
Ask the Holy Spirit to point out those areas that you need to focus on. And finally, think about who you can encourage today. Someone in your family, somebody else that you know is struggling with something. Maybe somebody's going through an illness or some medical situation in their family. If you can be an encouragement to them, call them and pour into them, just like Paul's doing with Timothy. There Paul is, he knows he's getting ready to be killed, and yet he's still pouring into Timothy up until his very last hours. We're called to do the same. So what questions or comments might you have? How old was Timothy at this point? He's still a pretty young guy. I don't know exactly. I think he's maybe in his 30s. I can't give you an exact age or anything, but that's probably close. He's not a young kid, but he's old enough to be the leader of the church. I was just thinking about how his mind could be, what he's really thinking. Uh, he knows that his number one mentor and basically father figure is, is uh, getting ready to perish. So I'm yes. just thinking how he's sorting through that yep. and Paul's helping him here. Yep. One thing when I listen to this that comes to my mind is, How will I respond the next time that I'm faced with a challenge? That girl, you described the Boxer Rebellion where she went outside and dropped to her knees and prayed, and she probably knew that was the end of her life. Paul knew it was the end of his life coming. You know, the part that I think about is how will I respond? It's a little bit daunting. You know, it makes me ask myself the question. Yeah, and I I think the key is it's not us. It's the Holy Spirit that'll give us that strength. If we try to do it in our own strength, we'll fail. But when we're faced with that, say, Holy Spirit, I don't like what's going on, but I know you're here. Give me the strength to endure whatever this is. I trust you. Even if I die, I'm in a better place than I am now because I'll be in heaven. And yeah, that is the answer. That is the answer. Yeah. But you're right, it does cause you to think, especially when I see those people getting beheaded on TV because of their faith, even today. And you may think that doesn't happen that much today. If you'll go look, I think the website is called Voice of the Martyrs, and they keep track of how many people are killed each day because of their faith, and the numbers are staggering. This is happening every single day. Just go check that out. Just Google Voice of the Martyrs and go take a look at that. You'll be blown away. Thank you for joining us today. Larry would love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to Larry at LarryO'Donnell.com. You can also sign up to receive this weekly podcast and Larry's weekly blog at LarryO'Donnell.com. We hope you will join us next time as we continue our study.